Today's New Testament reading is taken for the book of Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may dwell, that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray once again. Father, we thank you for your most holy word, and it is our privilege today to gather together as the people of God and to look expectantly to you, O Lord, to speak to us afresh so that we might hear the living voice. O God, I pray, may your word today be the living voice. May the active and reviving power of the word of God come to our hearts under the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, I pray. And now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and may the meditation of all of our hearts, O God, may they be found to be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our only redeemer. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we continue on today in our study on Ephesians. And today in Ephesians 6, Paul continues to give instruction to the church on the ethics of the Christian life, how to be a Christian, not only how to believe, but how to do it. And in fact, he's been doing this steadily since chapter 4. And if ever anyone ever suggests to you that Christianity is about freedom rather than duty, if anyone says it's about gospel rather than command, then please feel free in love to take them to task. Gospel and command are never sundered in the New Testament. The gospel makes way for joyful obedience to the Lord. Grace, says Paul to Titus, grace has come to do what? Grace has come to redeem us from lawlessness, that is, from being a people that are without the law. Grace, says Paul, joins us to God's law, and the gospel gives us power to love God's law and to perform it gladly with dear affection. And so I want to say to you as a way of preface to be wary of antinomianism in all of its forms. Even be wary of legalism, which is a form of hatred of God's law. The legalist hates God's law because it serves God's glory and not his own. Paul has a lot of good things to say about the law. And as Paul has been expounding the Ten Commandments in chapters 4 and 5, and last week we saw what a great piece of material he devotes to the seventh commandment that is for husbands to cherish their wives and wives to cherish their husbands. In like manner, he continues now in chapter six to expound, to expound the fifth commandment. Children, honor your father and your mother as the Lord commanded you that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And so Paul says to the children in those churches around Ephesus, children, obey, the, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right to do. 
It's right to obey it. Now, I want to say two things about uh, verse number one. First of all, Paul assumes that the obedience of children from the youngest age is done how? It's done in the Lord. Now, on the one hand, we should be convinced that Paul means that a child's obedience belongs to the Lord first. In fact, all obedience at every stage in our life belongs to the Lord first. Next week, where's Nathan? Next week, Nathan is going to be preaching on how uh, servants should conduct themselves with their master. And Paul affirms it's done to the Lord first. Your obedience in the workplace is done to the Lord first before it's done to your employers. And so a child, because his duty is to the Lord first, it's rendered to the Lord first, must not contradict anything that the Lord requires. A child must not obey his parents if obeying his parents means disobeying the Lord because it's done in the Lord. But on the other hand, and this is very, very important for us to understand today, Paul understands that a child's obedience in a Christian family can and may be done genuinely in the Lord. The expression that Paul uses here in the dative case in the Greek, enkurio, in the Lord, it can have many shades of meaning, but certainly what Paul means here by this phrase is that a child's location, a child's place is genuinely in the Lord. You see, Jesus stretched out his hands and he gathered all of these children to him. He says, let the little children come unto me and do not forbid them, do not hinder them. Why? Because my kingdom, it belongs to them. In the Christian home, Children are not outside of the Lord. They are not candidates for the kingdom, as we spoke to the children this morning or this afternoon. They are not candidates for the kingdom. Children, biblically, are possessors of the kingdom. They are not unclean, Paul says, 1 Corinthians 7.14. They've been washed, Paul implies. They are holy, Paul says explicitly. Now, my brothers and sisters, today we need to embrace the New Testament teaching that children in the household of faith are in the Lord and they are possessors of the kingdom of God. They are not unclean, but they are washed and they are holy in God's sight. Still, we labor. We labor to see their faith matured. We labor to discipline them and disciple them. We are in the anguish of childbirth, even as Paul was for the Galatians, till Christ be formed in our children. But we do not accept the unbiblical teaching that children do not belong to the Lord, (laughs) that they are not in the Lord, and that the Lord, by grace, through the effectual workings of his cross, is able to make them his very own and from the very moment that he gives them to a Christian family. Children, obey your parents how? Do it in the Lord. Secondly, Paul feels compelled to add to the second commandment this phrase, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Right? 
And he does this because he knows that the commandment to obey is something that does not come naturally to the heart of a child. Well, I was reading the gospel today and seeing that child foaming at the mouth. I had a very strong temptation to make a a, a comical comment about uh, children in obedience, but I thought, now I've said it, but it's in your imaginations already, but it doesn't come naturally for kids to obey their parents. (laughs) The command, obey your parents, comes in the child with a certain natural incredulity. The command more importantly, is met by a deeply rooted, antagonistic impulse to shirk and to loathe all authority. You see, the truth is, by nature, we do not like authority. The truth is, we recoil from all types of authority. This is Calvin's words. The human mind, he says, recoils from the very idea of subjection to authority. That's the nature of sin my brothers and sisters. Sin hates all kinds of authority. And we see this in the church today. The church is awash and it's drunk with this idea of the democratization of the church. It's just one great playing field. Everybody on the same level and hierarchy is viewed as an extra biblical intrusion into the life of the people of God. But you see, that's an idea that's entirely foreign to the New Testament teaching. As we read in Hebrews, church, submit to your leaders, obey your leaders as those who are set apart to watch over your souls. (laughs) But we don't like people telling us what to do. We don't like authority. And my brothers and sisters, the sooner we realize this, the better that our aversion to authority is sin. And sin is folly. And folly is what children have to wrestle against. Proverbs 22:15. Folly, we read, is bound up in the heart of a child. You know, bringing a child into the world is a wonderful thing. Bringing a child into the world is amazing. That in this moment of conception... We pass on to the child not only our genetic code and our genetic material, but we pass on to this child genetic code from ages and ages past. All of our ancestors, their aptitude and their gifts have an opportunity to live again. We pass on these amazing things to them, but in the act of procreation, we also pass on something else. We pass on death. We pass on corruption. We fill our own offspring with hatred to God. We pass on our poison and we infect our own children with a loathing of the authority of God. That's what we give them. And so we ought to be all the more sympathetic when as parents, as we we strive to help our children to obey and we discover that by nature they have no taste for authority at all. We ought to be all the more sympathetic and compassionate to their condition. Well, Paul goes on to say that we should encourage a child's obedience by reminding them that this command uniquely comes with a promise, namely the promise of long life and the promise of prosperity, that it may go well with you and that you might live long in the land. 
Now, I don't want to belabor this today, but I want you to notice that Paul is not done with the Ten Commandments. I want you, my brothers and sisters, to see and to hear that Paul is not done with the Ten Commandments. This commandment, he says, is especially important because it comes with a promise appended to it. You cannot make the Apostle Paul out to be a man for whom the Ten Commandments are abrogated or they're superseded. It simply does not work scripturally because here Paul appeals to the ongoing authority of the commandments. Otherwise, the promise would be in vain as well. If the Ten Commandments for Paul were done away with, no longer to be observed by the New Testament believer, then why on earth is Paul pointing us to them and reminding us of the unchanging and perennial value of the law and obedience to it. My brothers and sisters, does the law justify us? No. Grace justifies us through faith, but grace turns us to the obedience of the law. This love, writes John the Apostle, this way of grace is precisely this, that we walk according to what? The commandments of God. The promise, says Paul, is long life its prosperity, and it's still attached to this commandment. Paul is not being figurative here. Paul's not being metaphorical here. Paul's not playing around here. This command has a promise to it, he says, and it teaches us that if we obey it, we will be blessed. Calvin, pondering the promise attached to the fifth commandment, says plainly and simply, the promise is remarkable. It's simply remarkable. And it teaches us, he says, that the present life is not to be overlooked among the gifts of God. We rightly long for heaven. We rightly prefer Jerusalem above our chief joy. But as we do so, as we labor to put our treasures in heaven, we cannot scorn the gifts of a long life and the gifts of prosperity that God has promised to those who will obey him. The Lord teaches us today that these things will come to us ordinarily. Where you do this, he says, where you honor your father and mother, expect ordinarily my blessings. Where they don't fall, as Matthew Henry says, it is to be made up with something better namely a sweeter reward in the heavenly life, but these things are promised ordinarily to the people of God. And so we must not relegate this to the figurative. It is a real and it's a concrete promise. I remember in my own life as a young man, I was in my early 20s, and I was at, I mean, well beyond childhood, but I was at a place where my parents were giving me some advice that I didn't want to hear. <laughs> I didn't like it. It cut across the grain of my desires. And I wrestled and wrestled until one night I went to a Bible study at my church. And the Bible study that night happened to be on the Ten Commandments. And the commandment that that pastor was uh, expositing was commandment number five. On obeying your mother and your father. And I came home and I heard the word of God coursing through my heart. The Lord saying to me, if you do not lean on your own understanding... If you'll but acknowledge me in all of your ways, 
I'll make your path straight, and I will bless you if you will obey me in this. And I listened, and I let go of what I wanted, and I heeded my parents' counsel, and the Lord has blessed me in ways that I can't measure. It's not figurative. It's not metaphorical. These are God's commands. They don't go away. And the promise doesn't go away. If you will hear this, if you will honor your mother and father, I will bless you with a long life and with prosperity. This is the word of the Lord. Finally, Paul says to fathers, and he says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction in the counsel of the Lord. Now, why does Paul address fathers specifically here? Because fathers are those primarily responsible for the discipline in the home. And the apostle knows how easily God, uh, godly hatred of our child's sins can become mixed and tainted with an ungodly annoyance of our child's sins. He knows how easily our anger towards our children can be much more about us than it is about God or even about our children's welfare. And he knows how easily it is to expect far more from our children than they're capable of. One of my favorite lines about child rearing comes from a man by the name of Alexander White. And in his book called The Spiritual Life, a book he wrote about Thomas Goodwin, And in this book, White likens children to an ear of corn. And the warnings that he directs to parents is particularly weighty. This is what White says. He says, provoke not your children to anger. That one phrase has a thousand application to God's children and to those who have children. And he says, all who are fathers and mothers of children must keep in mind that law of nature, that law of grace, that law of God, that it is first the blade, and then the ear, and then the full corn in the ear. And they are not to look for the full ear of corn in childhood, nor even in early youth. But they are to be like the husbandman who waits for the precious fruit of the earth and has long patience for it until he receives the early and the latter rain. And if you're a parent here today, and if you've not found yourself often grieving to tears for your abysmal failure in this, then you are a rare marvel. For most of us have failed our children abysmally, and we have expected the full, mature, godly faith of a man in a four-year-old. It's interesting the word that Paul uses here for bring them up in the fear of the Lord. When he says bring them up, the Greek word here means nourish them, cherish them. As you counsel your children against sin, cherish them. As you warn them against rebellion, nourish them. They are tender plants before the Lord, Paul says, and the icy blast of our wrath can arm them so that they can't flower as they ought to. Paul says the same thing in Colossians 3, except there he says, don't be unnecessarily wrathful, lest your children become what? Lest they grow discouraged, lest they wilt under the heat of your anger. 
In all of our correction, Paul says, we must cherish and nourish them. Why? Well, because that's what God does with us. He does not deal with us according as our sins deserve. He knows our frame. He knows our state. He remembers our stage. He knows that we're just dust. And as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to us. And so, church, let me say to you today, as we seek to make our children godly, let us do it in a nourishing way, in a cherishing way, lavishing them with all manner of affection, repenting to our kids when we've done them wrong, as we will often do, and so model to our children what it means to repent. (laughs) Model to our kids what it means to say, I am sorry, I was wrong, and show them the humility of the cross And then, in that environment, we will be able to do what the Lord commands each of us to do. You shall what? You shall teach my words to your children. You shall talk of my commandments when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, you shall take my words and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and my words shall be like an ornament on your forehead so that wherever you go, your children see what's important to you. My book of commandments shall not depart from your mouth. They shall be as a doorpost on your house, on your gate to your property. Inscribe my words so that everyone who comes in, they see that you belong to the Lord. My book shall not depart from you, but you shall meditate upon it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything that I've commanded you to do. Then shall your way prosper. And then, church, shall you have good success. And so would you join with me today as we pray together for Christ Church, for prosperous families, And for children, sons and daughters who love God more than anything else. Let's let's pray together. God, our gracious Father, we desire to raise families for you at Christ Church. We desire sons and daughters not for our own sakes, but they, they might populate the kingdom of your dear son. And so, Father, send your Holy Spirit today to empower Christ church now and always to raise children for the Lord, nourishing them, lavishing them with affection, to teach them to know your glory and what it means to love God more than anything else. Oh, God, grant us grace to do this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.